Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we have to recap Kyle Trask versus Spencer Rattler, two polarizing quarterback prospects. Kyle Trask is falling down draft boards. You hear that out of the skies? It's Kyle Trask's draft stock falling down, down, down. And for, for Spencer Rattler, his is coming up for 2022, an underclassman that won't be in the 2021 class. Spencer Rattler is one of the favorites to be the first overall pick in next next year's draft. We're also going to look at the biggest takeaways from my latest 2021 NFL mock draft. A lot of fan bases upset. A lot of disagreements on the mock. We're going to talk about some of those disagreements and explain my thought process with the picks. And then finally, previewing the college football playoff, Peach Bowl, and Citrus Bowl, looking at some of the top prospects in all those games, should be an absolute great way to start the new year. Let's get it. again with my guy Anthony Tresh in studio for the last two for one drafts podcast of the 2020 calendar year what an honor you're rocking double coffees today that's how freaking excited you are for this podcast yeah I got a problem you know I (laughs) I was going to give it to Quinn but it was kind of a win-win scenario because if he didn't want it I could feed my addiction Mm -hmm. and because I've I've developed a bad coffee drinking problem but if not he could help me with my addiction and took one off my hands but I'm, I'm rocking two today I'll probably have a few more that's what that's what COVID's brought to me yeah. working from home. It's it's you know coffee is is a tough thing. I struggle with as well. I drink a shitload of coffee, a lot of espresso as well. And George makes fun of me for it, but we try and move on. We try and rally. Um, any plans for New Year's tonight? Um, probably just taking the girlfriend out to dinner. You know, get some food, keeping things casual. Yeah, get some food, stuff like that. Maybe go to Bed Bath and Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if I have enough time. Bed Bath and Beyond. Is that a reference to something? You don't know that reference. What is that reference to? Oh my gosh. What is that reference to? Old school. Besides, I got a big day tomorrow. But you guys have a great time. A big day? I'm doing what? Well, um, actually pretty nice little Saturday. We're, uh, we're going to go to Home Depot. Yeah, buy some wallpaper. Maybe get some flooring. Stuff like that. Maybe Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. <laughs> I'll stitch the clip in, but yeah, that's... <laughs> You got to be better than that. I'm Come so on. sorry. That, that's a that's a like that that goes beyond just like a like a quotable movie clip, and it's like that's just part of Americana. Like I, I, everybody knows that. I suck. Thank you. Quinn. I have not yeah. seen a lot of movies. I have seen a movie recently though that I really like that I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Dallas Buyers Club. I watched Dallas Buyers Club for the first time. With Matthew McConaughey. It's, it's honestly one of the best movies I've seen this year. Did you hear what he went through to like lose all that weight? I think you've had this conversation with me before, but please tell. Yeah, I mean, he just ate like fish and vegetables every day for like six months, lost two and a half pounds a week. And then he got looks down. like he was on his deathbed in yeah. that fucking movie. He said he couldn't run more than like 10 feet because like, his knees would like give out on him. Oh my God. He got down to like 130 something pounds. He drank all the red wine he wanted though. So I, I took that, you know, for a lot. So I'm drinking a lot of red wine now. There you go. Dallas Buyers Club. It's an old ass movie, but it's damn good. That's for damn sure. Um, <clears throat> looking ahead now, we got we got to talk about Kyle Trask for Spencer Rattler. This game was a blowout. You know, Kyle Trask threw three picks in this game, earned a 62.9 PFF grade, one of the lowest grades we've seen from him so far this year. His other low single game grade came against Texas A&M, a 54.2 grade in that one. This was not a good look for Kyle Trask. A lot of people brought out their takes comparing him to Mason Rudolph. He's never had it. This is why he's never been draftable, all those types of things. This is what Kyle, this is what 2019 Kyle Trask was. And I know you have done a lot of research on Kyle Trask. You wrote an article earlier in the season saying he is not, and this I don't even think is a hot take. He is not an elite SEC quarterback. Is he a good quarterback? Is he a good college quarterback? Absolutely. But to be an elite SEC quarterback, to be an elite quarterback prospect, I mean, you have to have that arm talent. You have to have that separating ability, either from an athleticism standpoint, arm strength standpoint, and he doesn't have either of those things. And that showed up in this game. I don't think you need to have monster takeaways and drop them from, you know, a fringe first rounder to undrafted free agent. I don't even know if I want this guy serving me coffee at Starbucks. But what I think it does tell you, and I think the biggest takeaway I had from it, is that Kyle Trask earned a 92.0 PFF grade for us this year. A massive improvement from the previous season. This game was a lot what we like we saw in 2019 Trask. What 
what went into that 2019, what went into this 2020 improvement in PFF grade? Go back to the tape and watch more of what Kyle Trask has done. Something you've already done, and you've given a lot of credit to the supporting cast. Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, Dan Mullen, guys that have put him in a situation to succeed and grade really well in that offense. I think it's time to go back to the tape and rewatch some of those games and see how much his lack of arm talent didn't show up in those other games where he wasn't making as many bad decisions, but showed up against a very good Oklahoma Big 12 defense. Yeah, I mean, I tried to keep my mouth shut during the game just because me and Florida fans, we went, we had our disagreements early in the year about this take. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't want to root for anyone to fail. I mean, I hate to see him kind of have a go out on a bad note with three interceptions. But I mean, this, this is exactly who Kyle Trask is. I mean, he was very dependent on his supporting cast. I mean, Dan Mullen, Brian Johnson, they have to be up there with some of the best coaches in college football just because they simplified things for him this year. They took away those difficult throws over the middle of the field and gave the receivers room to make plays after the catch, and that's what we saw a lot of. Um, I mean, he hit those wheel routes. He hit those fades routinely. He, he showed off excellent ball placement, understands wide receiver leverage, but, I mean, the decision-making. He is, you know, Seth says to Seth Galina, um, or one of our college analysts here, a great guy, he says all the time, he's just so damn slow. His processing is bad. The decision-making is bad. And last year, he had one of the... You know, I, I would go ahead and say it was one of the most overrated college quarterback seasons I've ever seen because he got so away with so many dropped interceptions. It was not even funny. I mean, he had nine big time throws to 22 turnover plays last year. That was the fourth worst differential in all of college football. He had a lot of dropped interceptions to linebackers. It, it was I mean, if you think about it, if he had it was kind of at the college football median there and actually had some of those picked off, we might be seeing Felipe Frank starting this year. I mean, it, I mean, it was that bad at times. So, I mean, he did get better this year. I mean, last year he was a complete statue in the pocket. But this year he added a little playmaking, kept his eyes downfield under pressure, made some impressive plays. I will give him that. Um, accurate with the ball, but the decision-making, it showed up in this one. Um, and, and that's where I, I think that kind of separates him between, you know, he's a good college quarterback. I'm not... I wouldn't be very um, – I would take a flyer on him just because the position's so valuable. It's the most valuable position on the field. But at the end of the day, I'm not very optimistic about his NFL future. Looking more at his stats this season, a 92.2 PFF passing grade, 41 big-time throws, most in the country. 41 big-time throws, pushing the ball downfield. Those are those throws in PFF's grading system that are earning a plus one, plus 1 1.5, or plus two, uh, and just 14 turnover-worthy plays. But if you turn back the clocks and look at last season, that turnover-worthy play number was a lot higher. Big-time throws were a lot lower. I do think that there's something to the system improving, but him also improving within the system. Yeah. Like I think it's back on Kyle Traste. I mean, if you looked at the Twitter timeline last night you and didn't watch a single snap of the Cotton Bowl, you would have thought Kyle Trask went out there and killed like two children. Yeah, like that's how bad, harsh. It, that's how bad it was though. Everyone was like bagging on the kid to the point where it was like, like, oh, I'm vindicated. But they were talking about that him like this three, four weeks ago. Exactly. You were, but other people weren't. And I, I, I find that interesting. I think there's a, a lot of reason to overreact to an island game that everyone watched while Kyle Trask looked like ass without Kyle Pitts and some of these other players. However, what I will say is that, again, I think the biggest takeaway that I want to have from this, and right now, according to Mike Renner's draft board, he has Kyle Trask as the 24th player in the draft, uh, in the first-round conversation. But I will say that PFS draft board, compared to others, really values positional value and pushes quarterbacks up for that reason. Mac Jones is in the top 32. Kyle Trask, there's six quarterbacks inside the top 40 on PFS draft board because how valuable we view the quarterback position and how valuable we think it is to draft players at that position, even if you are at the back end of the first round, don't have talent. Uh, or not don't, not don't have talent, but don't have the same prospects as some of the top guys. I think for Trask, he's likely to come down to Mike's board. But I don't know how far he falls. Where do you think Trask ultimately ends up in the 2021 NFL draft after this performance? Because this was a 62.9 PFF passing grade, a bad performance in front of a national televised audience. But even in the previous two weeks against LSU and Bama, 79.1 and 71.1. Hasn't had the best stretch of games over the past three weeks. Where do you think Kyle Trask ends up from a draft perspective? Is he a surefire day two pick? Do, they, do you think this performance drops him to day three? Like, I, I'm interested to know. I mean, I think he's day two for sure. Now, had he not played in this game and teams were just looking at what he did these last few games. I, think I bet that, you he interviews well. That's another thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think teams would have fallen in love with what he did against, you know, decent SEC competition. Um, even though we, we were talking about it, it was a little simplified for him. I think someone would have fallen in love with him at the end of the first round. Maybe a team like the Indianapolis Colts, Pittsburgh Steelers, the first five quarterbacks, those top five are off the board. Kyle Trask is sitting there and then you're kind of like, well, 
now we're in a bad spot. And, you know, for me, I would almost be comfortable more comfortable taking a guy like Jamie Newman over Kyle Trask because I feel like we already know what Kyle Trask is. Mm -hmm. But Jamie Newman, we we were going to learn a lot with him this year, going to Georgia in Ton Monken's little pro-style offense after that up-tempo, RPO-heavy Wake Forest offense, which it, it was just bad. We leaned too much on his mobility, not necessarily his deep ball, which is one of the best in college football uh, last year in 2019. So, I mean, I, I would be more comfortable taking him because I think he offers more reward. It's riskier, but I, I think the high end there's going to be more potential for high end play out of him. But I think, I, I think at this point he's has to be day two, right? Yeah, no, I don't think he's going to be in the first round conversation moving forward. If you look at some other, um, you know, draft analysts or draft experts, they have him more in the forties and fifties. I think that's where he ends up on PFF's board. Even when factoring in position of value, I think he drops outside that top 32 picks into the forties and fifties and ends up being a day two pick because he operates an offense well, and you show with the right supporting cast, he can have some of the successes that he's had at Florida. But talk about this jump. In 2019, he had nine big-time throws. He had 41 in 2020. That might be the biggest single-season jump for a player. And if you look at from a percentage standpoint, one of the bigger single-season single jumps we've ever seen. Like, that is absolutely absurd. 22 turnover-worthy plays in 2019. Drops that number to 14. Not significant drop, but there it is. That, again, I think there's another opportunity to go back to Kyle Trask, look at his film, and write another article, a post-mortem, so to speak, about what, what exactly Florida has done to benefit him this season and put him in a position to grade really well and perform really well from a box score and production standpoint. I can do that, but Florida fans have to promise to, to not <laughs> dog on me this time. I feel like no matter what I say about Kyle Trask, they're just going to disagree with me. Yeah, well, I mean, after last night's game, I don't know how happy Florida is with Kyle Trask. I mean, if you yeah. can't have the realization after last night that removed from the situation, removed, stripped of his weapons, he doesn't look like the same quarterback, I think you have to have the conversation. I we didn't talk a lot about Spencer Rattler, and I want to move forward with the podcast, but Spencer Rattler looked very, very good in this game, continues to look good. One, he's one of, the, one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the country. A guy that had, I think, a couple bad games early in the season, but here, here are Spencer Rattler's bad games. And I know you want to say You have a take here. Spencer Rattler has a high volume of turnover-worthy plays because the dude risks it. He's an aggressive thrower down the football field and is very confident in his arm talent, like other quarterbacks are in the NFL that have a lot of turnover worthy plays. Guys like Patrick Mahomes. I'm not making the comp to Patrick Mahomes, but I think th this is the style of play you see with Spencer Rattler in terms of I'm really aggressive with the football. I push the ball downfield. I have all the arm talent in the world, maybe the best arm talent in, in college football. And for that reason, you're going to see make, make a lot more riskier throws. P Patrick Mahomes ranks inside the top five in turnover worthy plays in the NFL. And still is viewed the best quarterback in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is on the opposite spectrum. Doesn't have the same, you know, percentage of big time throws. Doesn't have that same confidence. But he avoids turnover he plays like the plague. Spencer Rattler, is he the favorite now? I know you said Slovis earlier in the season. Yeah. Is Rattler the favorite to be the number one overall pick in 2022? Yeah, Keaton Slovis, he broke my heart this year. I was, <laughs> I was so disappointed. But Spencer Rattler, yeah, he has to be the favorite now. He, Spencer Rattler is baby Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not gonna. I'm not saying he's going to be Patrick Mahomes in the NFL. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that his arm talent is flat out stupid. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff he can do on the run outside of the pocket is ridiculous. I mean, he has a 92.1 passing grade outside of the pocket. The next best is Zach Wilson at 86.4. I mean, he is better outside of the pocket than most quarterbacks are in a clean pocket, which I mean, I know isn't very stable year to year. I think the biggest issue with him is just, you know, making some of the reads. And we saw this at Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes. Yep. I mean, he, he's, he, it was his first year starting. So I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt. He has time to they work have on to. that. But, you know, like the thing is, is that I, you guys were dogging on me too when you were talking about the All American team. I was unfortunately bogged down. That was Renner. Yeah. Renner was. Yeah. I'm, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to defend myself here since I, I couldn't defend myself then. He was deserving of being in the honorable mention All-American team because when most people think Spencer Rattler, they think three things. He got benched for a drive. He threw a game-losing interception at the end of Iowa State. Did the same thing against Kansas State. Those are the three things you remember. None of them are good. But what people don't remember is that in that Iowa State game, earlier in the game, he had two incredible throws, beautiful throws. Would have been touchdowns. Receiver drops him. And that was at the end of the third quarter, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Those were one, I think they might have both been on third down. I can't recall. One of them definitely was. And both of those drives went from touchdowns because Spencer Radler made an incredible play to field goals. That lost him the game right there. So he may have threw that interception at the end of the game. But at the end of the day, he gave him multiple opportunities to win the game. Uh, previous on. So, I mean, 
I think Spencer Rattler was one of the most impressive quarterbacks in college football this season. I thought he was, it was a very underrated year. Um, so I, I think he, I'm calling him baby Patrick Mahomes from now. I think he is the favorite to be number one overall in 2022. Hopefully my guy Keen Slovis can rebound after a little bit of a disaster this year. Um, still holding out hope for him, but Spencer Rattler, man. This, this guy's good. The yeah. arm talent is stupid. A 92.7 PFF passing grade this year, 33 big time throws, and just 12 oh. turnover he plays. Right. Also, last or at in the game against Florida, he had two incredible deep balls at the end of the first quarter, final play, beginning of the second quarter, first play. Both of them were dropped. I, he, I have this stat for you. You ready for this? Wait, he's got the most dropped big time throws. Yes. And most dropped uh, deep balls. Yeah. Most dropped big time throws, 13, and most dropped deep balls. And. That, again, is a big... So Spencer Rattler is very similar in the college football conversation of being like getting these national awards and national recognition to Tom Brady. Not not everyone wants to put Tom Brady in the Pro Bowl or All-Pro conversation because he doesn't have the same box score production as some of these other guys. But he's another guy that has had a ton of big-time throws, a ton of really, really good passes dropped by his receivers. And when that happens, that affects your box score production and affects the overall national narrative. And then you're going to see PFF grading better you know you're gonna see pff liking tom brady better than some of the other guys i think spencer rattler's in a similar conversation and i think you hit the fucking nail on the head my friend screw mike renner who wants to put trevor lawrence right. or whoever wants to put yeah. in there screw mike renner this is the two for drafts podcast I'm, and this is the anthony trash takeover yeah exactly i'm paying homage to him wearing the notre dame king of school shirt yes just because i know that he's going to be very down in the dumps come saturday morning it's Actually, not going to be a good friday game. night because they're probably going to get slaughtered so i'm trying to give notre dame credit when credit's due before they get absolutely yep. railed. All right, before we jump into my mock draft here, or, yeah, before we jump into my mock draft here, let's take a short break, but when we come back, we got to look at the biggest, dis- you know, your biggest disagreements or biggest question marks with the 2021 NFL mock draft. Let's take plenty. a quick break. <sighs> PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth are teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire based on the information provided. In the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts to help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month at MooseFit. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co, not com.co. PFF and Action Pro are teaming up. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription access and... One year, 365 days of Action Pro subscription access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make avid and new bettors better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the Super Bowl. This offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, when I dropped this mock draft on Twitter, it, it, it was met with a lot of disagreements. And I think a lot of people first are upset at Justin Fields going to the Atlanta Falcons at four. That's the first pick that I think a lot of people had some gripes with. The Atlanta Falcons in this in this uh, in this projection are picking at number four overall. And the and the analysis I had is that no single non quarterback drafted at number four overall is going to take this Atlanta Falcons defense or say it's a defender or even offense significantly higher than where it is currently. Like it's already a very good well-rostered football team. Like, I mean, they, they, I, I do think they're one of the more talented rosters. Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Matt Ryan. And defensively, yes, they could use some help. 
There's a lot of help they need there. Pass rush specifically. They just invested at the cornerback position, A.J. Terrell. The secondary, Keanu Neal, I think, is one of the more underrated safeties in the NFL. Coaching is what's going to really take this team to a new level. And for that reason, with how valuable that number four overall pick is, taking a quarterback of the future, well, Matt Ryan now going to be 36 years old, if not 36 years old already, Yes, he's on the books for $80 million. I'm not saying you have to trade him. It looks like a very tough situation to trade Matt Ryan, looking at the contract situation, how they could get out of it. But keeping Matt Ryan and continuing to start Matt Ryan, who ranks inside the top 10 in PFF passing grade this year, but using that number four overall pick on a player that will help you in the future over a single defensive player, say it's Micah Parsons or Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley, to try and lift this defense up by a half win or one win. You know, I, I don't think that's the move for them if they are picking at four. If they're picking up picking later in the draft after what Week 17 does for us, then you can have that conversation. But if one of the top three quarterbacks, like Justin Fields, is on the board at four, I think the pick is obvious, like legit obvious. And not to start him over Matt Ryan, not to end that era necessarily. Like I've said in the past, I think that looking at the contract situation is way harder to do than I thought. But with Justin Fields, he can come in, be the backup, develop, and when Matt Ryan, you are moving on from Matt Ryan, you have this piece there. Because hopefully by the time you are moving on Matt Ryan, it's after he's made a deep postseason run. Maybe holding up a Lombardi because you think you have these expectations with Ridley and Julio Jones. And you're not in a position to draft that quarterback in the future. But guess what? You have Justin Fields developing high. The NFL has a development problem. Not an evaluation problem, a development problem. People think players bust. It's not that. It's teams that bust. We are not developing players in the NFL like we were. We are raising the bar from an expectation standpoint for rookies in the NFL. It is nothing like what the NBA does. Nothing like what NHL or MLB does. And I know that's different. You're drafting them younger. The NBA drafts players the first year out of college. NHL is in a similar boat. And MLB drafts guys out of high school. You're farming these guys and developing these guys. I know they're a little bit older, but I think the NFL needs to pay more of their dues and develop some of these players, specifically the quarterback position, and not raise these expectations significantly like we have with Tua Tungavailoa and some of these other quarterbacks that, oh, he hasn't played well in six games. It's, it's time to move on. And while I've, I'm really ready to have the conversation about Miami taking a quarterback at three, it's not because you want to move on from Tua Tungavailoa. It's because the pick is too valuable to not take a quarterback there. It's too valuable to not take the best, you know, most valuable position in the NFL. Do you have significant gripes with Justin Fields to Atlanta at four? No, I, I mean, I love that. I love Justin Fields to Atlanta. But I think if I were Miami, I'd, I would lean quarterback at this situation. I mean, we've talked at length. I yes, mean, yes. We're beating a dead horse at this point. You know, I'm not giving up on Tua Tagovailoa. It's just, you know, it's getting more opportunities to be good at the position that you need to be good at to win games. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like there. Um, so, I mean, I, I like Trevor, obviously Trevor Lawrence at one, Zach Wilson at two. I mean, so, I mean, if Justin Fields does not go to Miami, I don't know if I would take Penny Sewell if I were Miami. I would probably go wide receiver. I would probably go Jamar Chase. Over Penny Sewell at three? I think so. Holy shit. I think so. Because, I mean, we were talking about it. But yeah. I don't think there's a generational talent at wide receiver or like a like like a legit separating talent at wide receiver over there is Penny Sewell. I think Penny Sewell is the best offensive tackle in this class. And it's not close. He's the oh. next Anthony Munoz. Don't forget that. <laughs> Quinn just wants to go to the Bengals. <laughs> Quinn just wants Miami, from- Miami. But I think the conversation with Miami is interesting. Like, yeah. I, I would take Penny Sewell over wide receiver. And I also think lean quarterback. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The worst case scenario for the Miami Dolphins is taking Penny Sewell at three overall. Best case, I think, is trading down to, say, four or five or six, still grabbing a Penesul or a wide receiver, whoever it may be, but allocating more draft capital. And I think that middle tier is like, hey, we don't have a trade partner. We have to get the best value out of this pick. Let's swing the bat on another quarterback prospect, and if and let's develop these guys and, and have more opportunities, like you said, have more chances at striking gold at the quarterback position, whether it's Fields and Tua Tungavailoa, Wilson and Tua Tungavailoa, that I think makes the I most mean, sense. If they're not, if they're ruling out quarterback completely, they have to do what the Niners did a few years ago with Trubisky. That's yeah. what they have to do. They have to sit there and act like, well, if someone might come up and get him. We got some good offers. Exactly, the table. exactly. People that. forget that Mitch Trubisky yeah. was traded up for from three to two or four to three, something it along. It was three to two. Three to two. Yeah. The Bears traded from three to two, so not jumping anybody. But just to secure, to make sure they got their guy in Mitch Trubisky. The, the, the Miami Dolphins could be in a similar spot. It could be the Falcons who are doing that. It could I, be, I, I you look at. The, the Falcons would be, they, they would fall for that. Yeah, they, they might fall on. for that. All right, some other picks that people had disagreements with. The Bengals, after being out of the Panay Sewell sweepstakes, going after Jamar Chase. Someone said this isn't a top need for them. If your argument starts, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this right now. 
If your argument for a mock draft starts with draft need, I'm already throwing it out the window. Draft need is overvalued. It is overvalued. There are so few rookies in the NFL that have legit game-changing impact to the point where they are lifting their teams to the playoffs. The best rookies in the NFL this year, Justin Jefferson, Justin Herbert, Chase Young, Tristan Wirfs, Mekhi Becton, of, you know, of those guys, Michael and Wainu, only one's going to the postseason. And Tristan Wirfs isn't going to the postseason if Tom Brady isn't under center. Like, Justin Jefferson didn't make the Vikings a playoff team. Chase Young didn't make the freaking football team a playoff team. It, 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 he helped make them a very good defense, but offensively it's still a disaster. Like, these rookies, filling a need with rookies just doesn't, is, not, is not what you want to do. What you need to do is draft valuable players at valuable positions in the high end of the first round. I think Jamar Chase at the wide receiver position is high positional value, and you have that opportunity to reunite him with Joe Burrow. Any obvious qualms with Jamar Chase in Cincinnati at five? No, that's exactly what they should do. I mean, I think you can make an argument if Penny Sewell was there, but, I mean, if the Dolphins do go Penny Sewell at three, they should 150% take Jamar Chase. And if your argument is they have, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins as their top two wide receivers, that's a problem because – I'm not so sure. We don't know enough about T. Higgins to know he's ever going to get to that all-pro type of level. Mm -hmm. And if Otten Tate, you know, that's a pretty good three. I, I don't care. It's one of the most it's valuable. the only three. They have three wide receivers on the roster next year. People don't realize that. Exactly. They don't have enough to field a team. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I'm taking Jamar Chase, who is up there in that Amari Cooper type of level of wide receiver prospects. So some of the best we've ever seen. It's absolutely ridiculous why you would even reach at tackle here because there's a lot of quality ones yeah, I mean, reaching well, a tackle would be one of the worst things that the Cincinnati Bengals could do at five. 100%. I do not think there is a offensive tackle that is better than what the wide receiver you could get in Jamar Chase at five. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I, I really don't, and I don't think forcing needed offensive tackle after the best ones off the board is going to pan out for Cincinnati. Similar to how it didn't pan out when they took Billy Price after Frank Ragnow. I just don't think that's the case. Yeah, and like Penny Sewell's good. I'm, I'm not saying he's elite. He's awesome, incredible guy, incredible. But I, I think people are starting to widen the gap a little bit too much between him and the next best tackles in the class. That's Fair. just, I, I think we're starting to widen the gap a little bit. The Pac-12, let's be honest, their edge rushers aren't that good. Mm -hmm. They're not at all. I they're mean, bad. Yes, I would argue they're bad. They're terrible. It's probably one of the worst, the worst in the Power 5, 100%. But, I mean, he did put up historic numbers. I'm not saying he's not a good prospect. Well, Sam Cosme is the second-ranked tackle on PFS board, and he's still 13th. Mm -hmm. Like you start to feel comfortable about Sam Cosme, Christian Derisaw, Leatherwood, and even Slater in that I would argue 13 to 25 range. But at five, I'm not taking them at five. I, I'm not taking any of those tackles at five, especially with Jamar Chase on the board or some of these other valuable, you know, other, other players of valuable positions on the board. All right. Next picks that people had some disagreements with. It wasn't met with as much flack as I thought it was going to be but the Dallas Cowboys taking Kyle Pitts at 11 everyone was like how about someone why don't you draft someone to stop somebody on defense it's like that go ahead go, you have something to say I do because Kyle Pitts that's exactly the the issue I had with the pick that you just jumped number eight New York Giants quitty pay over Kyle Pitts <laughs> yeah that might be tough that I could see Kyle Pitts being the pick over quitty pay I think that's what get well, I mean we talked about this on Monday I think Gettleman if He's going to go after a guy like Quiddy Pay because mm -hmm. that's the type of genius. I mean, and Quiddy Pay, I mean, if he tests as well as people think he will, think thinks he will, I think Quiddy Pay is a top ten pick and a pick that someone like the Detroit Lions or New York Giants tries to chase there in that eight or seven spot. Yeah, but I Kyle mean, Pitts, Kyle Pitts probably ends up going in the top ten depending on how things go, and I think yeah. the Giants are an option even though they do have a Pro Bowl tight end in Evan Ingram. <laughs> I mean, if if the let's say like hypothetically speaking, that top seven goes the way it does in the three picks before the New York Giants are Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, I would be furious. I'd There's be no so way that happens too. Yeah, Everyone said that too. There's no way that many receivers go in the top ten. But they should. Again, they should. It should. Like the mock, when PFF is doing these mock drafts, and when like you have an analyst, whether it's me, you, uh, Renner, you're going to see position value overvalued compared to other normal mock drafts. Normal is probably not the right word, but other traditional mock drafts. Position value is more valued in our draft board. It's why Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are as rated as high as they are, and it's more valued in our mock drafts. It's why you don't see interior defensive line and interior offensive line going highly in our first-round mock drafts. And, and it's because this is where we think the NFL needs to go. We need to see more teams factor in position value at a higher clip 
specifically at the top end of the first round. That's why I had some qualms with going Micah Parsons 9 in the Carolina Panthers. I still don't love that pick. Even though Micah pa- Parsons is like the next best linebacker prospect since Luke Keekley, and here going to replace him in Carolina, from a positional value perspective, you're almost better off swinging the bat on Trey Lance, who goes to pick later the Denver Broncos at 10 in this mock draft. You can check out this mock draft, by the way, at pff.com. Check out the full mock. Rip me for it. You know, Make fun of me all you want to do, but uh, it's a good one. Um, the Kyle Pitts one, everyone wanted me to pick defense especially with Farley going the, ne- the next pick to the Los Angeles Chargers. I could see that making sense. I just don't – I think Kyle Pitts is a better player than what Caleb Farley is. And I think from a position value perspective, tight end versus corner, it's obviously corner. But Kyle Pitts doesn't just play tight end. He does a lot of things in slot, does a lot of things out wide. And I think no team – I say this in the, in the analysis. No team in the NFL has enough weapons to pass on Kyle Pitts at 11. I don't want to hear about need. I want to hear about how how do what, what what player makes your team the most improved? What what player improves your team the most? And that is not always filling a weak link at a certain position with a rookie. It's not, especially if there are other better players at valuable positions on the board. Well, only a couple more picks I'll go over here before we jump to the college football playoff preview. Some other disagreements here, I think, were hmm. I don't know if there were a ton of other people getting I, upset. I have a couple. Go ahead. Go ahead, Trash. I mean, we were, I mean, we were talking about the other day where, I mean, if Trey Lance is at 10 for the Denver Broncos, John Elway, he's going to love it. He's yes. just going to absolutely love it. Pop, some, pop a bottle of champagne like it's New Year's Eve. But I think I might be ready to put Mac Jones above Trey Lance. Mac Jones above Trey Lance? In that same category. Wow. In that same. I, I have just, yourself a take, kid. I mean, accuracy is the most important thing at any position in the NFL to have. You mm-hmm. need to have an accurate quarterback. You have to. Trey Lance, in that one little showcase game, the dude was not accurate. Yeah. Mac Jones is one of the most And he wasn't ac- specifically accurate the year prior. No, not at all. And Mac Jones is one of the most accurate quarterbacks we've ever seen. I mean, I know the physical tools. I think at times we can just fall in love with the physical tools. You see what he does Especially on the with the, the problem with physical tools right now at the quarterback position is that all the good quarterbacks in the NFL have them. Yeah. I mean, that's not the problem. That sounds a little bit too negative. But, like, you are looking – every team right now is looking for the next Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray – Patrick Mahomes type. These guys that can make all the throws, have above average athleticism, and just arm talent that makes people drool. It's pushing guys like Mac Jones and Kyle Trask further down draft boards than even in previous years. I think you go two or three years ago, arm talent's not the first thing being discussed. Now it's like, dude, I need the arm talent. I better have it. He opens up the playbook. You gotta have it. And I think you're seeing that shift back in the NFL where like, arm talent being that most important thing and people chasing it. And I think that's why ultimately, you'll see a guy like Trey Lance, who has, in addition to arm talent, a ton of physical tools, athleticism, good size. I think you're going to see teams flock to that with where the NFL is going. Oh, 100%. I mean, he made Central Arkansas's defense when he carried the ball it just look stupid. I mean, not stupid. They just made him look like a little uh, <laughs> hater. Yeah. I'm sorry, Central Arkansas. That was mean. Um, but anyway, I mean, like Mac Jones, the difference between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask is that his, he's a better decision maker. The processing is not as slow. And he offers a little bit more mobility than Kyle Trask does. It's not anything exceptional, but he does offer more than mm-hmm. Kyle Trask does. Um, but another one I had, this one is probably my biggest one on the entire thing. Darion Kendrick, all the way down at 30th. 30th. You have, let's see, Asante Samuel going a couple of picks before that. I love Asante. Sean Wade at 22. I think for me, I would be, I would like Darion Kendrick over Sean Wade because I go back to that Penn State game, Jahan Dotson. Getting right. toasted. Yeah. I mean, I think I was on the pod that week after that game. Yeah. Where we were very concerned because we thought he had the phys- physicality, the the physical tools to succeed as a press man corner on the outside. He got bullied a few times, even against Ty Freifogel in Indiana, a little bit of a more physical receiver. He's a good receiver, not, I wouldn't call him a premier NFL prospect by any means. You know, and he kind of got bullied a few times. He had a good pick six, but it was also a bad, very bad decision by Michael Penix mm-hmm. to throw that. So... I think I would put Darion Kendrick, who is take, making big strides this year. I mean, last year he looked yeah. he looked good at the position, even when he played wide receiver the year before. He never played cornerback. Played cornerback last year, looked pretty good. This year he's taken that next step further. I think I'd be willing to take him over Sean Wade. I also think, going back and looking at this, I'd probably overvalued Sean Wade and Asante Samuel Jr. Sean Wade has a twenty is ranked 22, 22nd on PFF's draft board right now, earned a 78.6 PFF grade playing slot box safety for uh, Ohio State in 2019, and just a 70.1 PFF grade playing outside corner this year. And you look at Asante Samuel, he ranks 30th or 33rd 
on PFS draft board, and I had him still sneaking into the first round. I really like Asante Samuel Jr. I, playing outside corner this year. He ranks 10th in college football in PFF grade. He's done a really, really good job playing outside corner. The instincts are there. The tackling ability, the physicality. He's just not, he's just not a big corner. He's 5'10", 184. And for that reason, I don't think he goes in the first round ultimately. And taking outside corners like Darion Kendrick, Tyson Campbell, J.C. Horn even, who didn't go in the first round for me, I probably should have had him over some of these slot types. I think going back, I think you're right. I think going back and thinking about it a little bit more, Asante Samuel a bit overvalued, even Sean Wade a bit overvalued, especially. And I think I overvalue this slot box floor for Sean Wade because I, I, when I wrote that article, I wrote it like you know a couple, few months ago about Sean Wade and how like he needs to get some snaps at outside corner if you want to see him as a first rounder. I I loved his tape at slot. Like I, I thought he was a very good slot corner. Like he's very good in the slot, an aggressive tackler. Guy's got a mean streak. Blitzes off the edge well. But everyone wanted forcing him on the outside. I just think it's it's too much. I I don't think he I don't think he's going his best position in the NFL is outside corner. And we haven't seen that at Ohio State yet. Maybe if he really if he tests really well, you think you can develop him in there. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Yeah, and I mean like limiting him to just a slide. I mean, I think it's time to normalize like slot corner is a valuable position. Yes, it, I yes. don't care if yes. you can only. And, play and that's the a big reason why Wade and Asante Samuel Jr. are in the first round of this right. mock draft. Like exactly, slot cornerbacks are not the redheaded stepchild here. Like they start on NFL teams. Yeah, I think what I'm not ready for in draft season with Asante Samuel Jr. is that people are going to reference his interceptions and go back to the Georgia Tech game. Those are not impressive interceptions. Jeff Sims literally threw it to him like he was the wide receiver. He was standing there, and he got the ball. That's what I'm not ready for. But I do love Asante Samuel Jr. I think he's a stud. I mean, his quicks are, I mean, incredible. All right, are you ready to pivot to the college football playoff, Citrus Bowl, and Peach Bowl preview? I want to look at some of the best prospects in, this, in, the, in these games. Let's start with the – let's build up to some of the college football playoff games and start with the Citrus Bowl. In Auburn Northwestern, which Greenlight has a fa- – I think is favoring Auburn in that game. I'm not actually entirely sure. On that, I think they're favored by three and a half or something along those lines. What is your opinion of this game? Are there some players to watch in the Citrus Bowl? Uh, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I mean, not really. Yeah, I – Auburn is a team that we were low on entering the year, and rightfully so because Bo Nix is not the um, not the SEC freshman of the year that he was named last year. Not at all. Not even remotely close. You know, Seth Williams is an interesting one just because I feel like he's falling down a lot of boards. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, a lot of them. And I think rightfully so just because the dude cannot separate. I mean, he's good in contested situations. He can bully some guys in tight coverage, but – I mean, it's a whole other ball game at the NFL level. I mean, one guy I wish we're playing and we haven't seen him this year, Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. I really like this guy. I really do. I wish he was playing this year. Um, opted out because of COVID concerns. I totally respect that. But I mean, am I going to watch this game? Yes, but I don't think there's really too much to get side about from a draft perspective. That I think is uh, fair, my friend. I think it's going to be kind of overall a tough one. Um, but something something that I think does stand out for me is. Some of the, some of the defensive players in Auburn I think are pretty talented. I think there's there's guys like Dinson that I think are fun to watch, and um, there's Jer- Jamie Sherwood is another guy that I think right now ranks 79th on PFF's draft board. Roger McCreary, uh, a- he saved that Kentucky that game against Kentucky. I mean Auburn should have been two losses more than what they were. That Arkansas game should have lost. Bo mm-hmm. Nix screwed that one, um, but they ended up winning. And then at the Kentucky game, so underrated what he did at the end of the first half. Kentucky was about to score. They were at the one yard line. They kind of got screwed the play before. Like, it was whatever controversial. But then he had an interception, saved him from being down at halftime. I mean, he, I really do like Roger McCreary. That's one positive. Positive vibes only going into 2021 i like roger mccreary <laughs> positive vibes only going into 2021 um for northwestern i don't think there's a player on pfs top 100 top 200 that's playing in this game that you know Rashad slater is one of the highest ranked um one of the highest ranked players on northwestern in pff's class he's ranked 38th on pff's board but he's the only player ranked inside the top 200 playing for that football team let's jump now to the peach bowl where i think there actually is some talent in this game cincinnati georgia there's a ton of talent in this game starting with georgia's side you know tyson campbell 25th ranked player on pff's board aziz ojulari has had a huge breakout year the edge defender for georgia 53rd on pff's board uh jamie newen not playing in this game you have you know, ben cleveland in the hundreds jordan davis richard lacoon malik harry like there's there georgia i think does have some talented players and there's some some things worthy of watching on their side of the ball maybe not i wish jamie newen was playing in this game though 
Exactly. I think, honestly, like before the, I remember last year when it was announced that he was going to transfer to Georgia and before COVID and everything, I thought this team could have been the best team in college football because I think taking quarterback out of the equation, I would, I would probably lean Alabama now knowing what we know now. But entering the year, I would have been, I think there was an argument to be made that Georgia had the most talented roster outside of quarterback. Oh, wow. I, I really do. I mean, they're not, they don't have like exceptional players. I mean, Tyson Campbell has been good. Aziz Ojolari has been good, but they're not necessarily that top, you know, one or number number one or number two players at their position in college football. I mean, Aziz is 16th this year in PFF grade, which is fantastic for playing in the SEC. Um, but I do think they are very deep and talented. And yeah, Jamie knew, damn it. I was so upset. I was so upset. But I understand why he did what he did. I still think he's a, he's a sneaky guy to keep an eye on day two. Tyson Campbell so far this year has earned a 74.6 PFF grade, ranked 65th in the country at outside corner. But from a tools perspective, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's got better tools than Tyson Campbell. Six foot two, 185 pounds, former five-star athlete. Like he's the guy that's going to rise in the pre-draft process. The more people turn on his tape, the more people talk about his measurables. The combine is where he's going to really elevate his stock. I think Tyson Campbell is a name to watch that right now ranked 25th on PFS board. You could see him come up a bit specifically over guys like Sean Wade, those slot cornerback types. Um, on yeah, Cincinnati's, go ahead. I, that Alabama game kind of concerns me. You think? the 90, He gave up what, a 90-yard touchdown in that game? Oh, uh, yeah. 100, 162 yards in cover. Overall, yeah. yeah. That's not that, great. I mean, that's like... A, when I want to look at like SEC corners, I look at what they did against Alabama because those are NFL caliber wide receivers. But I do I think Tyson Campbell has the potential to be good, but that's just a little, little bit concerning. On Cincinnati's side, I really like James Wiggins. I think he's been on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, I think, three times in a, three years in a row now. I think it's a box slot safety type. He can be a really productive player, ranked 143rd on PFS board. Could rise with a good combine. He's a bit stiffer than you want. Like I thought he I thought he would be he was less stiff when you turn on the tape, but then you watch more and more and you kind of see his lateral agility is not there. But from an explosiveness standpoint, and like like he's rocked up. Like the guy is jacked. I I do think James Wiggins is, could be a draft riser in the pre-draft process. Desmond Ritter. Ranked 180th on PFF's board. I, I don't see him rising a ton with his stock. I think there is some 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 arm talent there to flock to, maybe a little bit. And the athleticism is there. He's run the football well for Cincinnati. He's a poor man's Trey Lance. Maybe a poor man's Trey Lance. I think a poor man's Trey Lance is bad. It's also a little bit smaller, too. Exactly. <laughs> but I think yeah. the best player, and obviously on PFF's board, ranked the best player on Cincinnati's team, and a guy that I think will, will rise in the pre-draft process, is the edge defender, MyJ Sanders. Ranks inside the top five in PFF pass rush win rate when you remove screens, RPOs, and play action. There's also an absurd an absurd length prospect. He's got really long arms. Looks like he's going to measure really, really well. What he does at the combine could dictate him being like a high-end day two pick, is what I'm saying. Right now, ranks 89th on PFS board. I don't think he finishes there, my friend. I think MyJ Sanders hopefully has a good game against Georgia and comes up the board a little bit in the pre-draft process. That's where I'll stand there. Are you ready now to move on to well, Alabama Notre Dame? Well, one thing about MyJ Sanders is that like, he kind of struggled with consistency last year, but he's starting to find it. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he has pretty good hand usage. I- I'm a big fan of him. Also, Ahmad Gardner, not eligible this year, but next year. He's going to be one of the best cornerbacks in the class. Cincinnati's done a really good job of recruiting in the secondary. I mean, they have a handful: Javon Hicks, Ahmad Gardner, He's James just a Wiggins. Recruit, huh? Last year, three-star recruit came in, started right away. But I'm saying, I guess wow. recruiting and developing that talent because yeah. their secondary is really good. Like Ahmad Gardner's a, a really talented outside corner, and they have a lot of other guys in that secondary that have played. Uh, who's the other? There's a safety, Derek Forrest, who they. They recruited him to Cincinnati, and I think he weighed at like 160 pounds. I remember I was talking to Chad Brendel, who's a, a beat writer for the Bearcats. He, re- he came in and was like 160 pounds, like soaking wet. And that strength and conditioning staff got him to be like a legit like 185, 190 pound safety and like looks really, really good for Cincinnati. I, I think they're doing a really – Luke Fickle and company are doing a lot of good things in Cincinnati. Like it's honestly it, – it's it would be crazy to see him leave. I think Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator there for Cincinnati – can replace him and, and maintain that culture. But Luke Fickle, man, yeah, I really have been impressed with what he's done. I mean, Cincinnati's what, seven-point dogs in this game? Yeah, seven-point dogs against Georgia in the Peach Bowl. I don't know, man. I'm rooting for Cincinnati to cover that number. 64% of the tickets and 64% of the cash is on Georgia to win this game out, uh, win this game by more than seven. But I think Cincinnati, don't don't... Don't hate on Cincinnati, man. I, I I think I think Cincinnati is a sneaky sneaky good team to cover this number. And I can't wait to see JT Daniels. Yes, because 
I mean, there were some, I'm not, I don't want to name any outlets, but there were some people giving up some high draft hopes for him even this year after that incredible debut. You know, I think there's still a lot of unknown with JT Daniels, and I think this is going to be one of the toughest tests for him because the Cincinnati defense is, you know, I mean, it's a group of five defense, sure, but I think it's one of the five best in college football, at least, maybe even top three. Man, high praise. Yeah. High praise. All right, let's jump to Alabama and Notre Dame. Notre Dame are 20-point dogs in this game. Alabama favored by 20. And it's pick your poison or, you know, pick who you want to watch in this game because all of them are pretty much NFL draft caliber players, specifically on Alabama's side. You look at right now inside the top 25 picks, one, two, three, four, five. Five are playing in this game, Alabama versus Notre Dame. Jeremiah uh, Wusukoromo is a linebacker for Notre Dame. And then for Alabama, it's, it's Waddle. Or Waddle's not playing, but I guess he's on that team. But then you have Devontae Smith, Pastor Tan, and Alex Leatherwood, three guys that will be guys to watch in this football game against Notre Dame. It, it's it's must-watch TV, even if the spread is 20. Who do you have in this game being the difference maker for Alabama if they do cover that 20-point number and do win uh, handedly? I mean, it's Devonta Smith and Mac Jones. I mean, that's 100% it is. I mean, in order for – here's my theory on this. I like Alabama to cover that. I'm not a betting expert, but I think Ian Book is going to have to play out of his freaking mind to in order to cover the spread because his previous best game of his career was against Clemson, that very first game, 90.7 passing grade. Mac Jones has surpassed that passing grade five times this year. So I think we need – yeah, I mean, Ian Book's going to have to play absolutely flawless. The play calling has to be great, too. They cannot try and run the ball. They cannot do that because they're they're not going to manhandle their opponent. It worked against, you know, Syracuse. It worked against North Carolina. It works against USF. It's not going to work against this Alabama defensive front. I'm really excited, too, to see this offensive line. Liam Eikenberg, Robert Hainsey, Tommy mm-hmm. Kramer, Aaron Banks, Jared It's a Patterson very good playing. Notre Dame offensive line. Exactly. And uh, Alabama's defensive line is talented. I mean, you got a true freshman up there. I think he has like what fifty-two pressures. Oh yeah, that Anderson. <laughs> yeah, I, he he. That's like more than twice any other defensive player. Yeah, Will Anderson, fifty-two pressures this year, twice as many any other true freshman this season. That is incredible. I'm yeah. excited to see that Christian Barmore too in there. I think it's going to be a good battle in the trenches, but I, I don't think. Notre Dame's going to win. Yeah, Ian Book's going to have to have a game similar to what he he had in kind of the two games before he dropped that L to Clemson. I I mean, he was playing really, really well. Really well under pressure, really well out of structure, these unstable metrics. But I think this game against Alabama, going to be under pressure a lot. It's a very, very good Alabama defense, specifically on the back end with Pastor Sertan and Josh Job. It's going to be tough for them to find points in this game. This could be quite easily be a blowout. For Notre Dame's side, I think looking at Jeremiah Wusukormo, a big game for him to go against a top-flight offense and show what he can do, that 17th-ranked player on PFF's board. And also, Liam Eikenberg is a, is a top-50 player on PFF's board, a guy that's had a ton of success this year, one of the highest-graded offensive tackles in the country. That's another name I'm watching in this game. Finally, Clemson, Ohio State. I think this is going to be the game of game of the day. I mean, this this is seven and a half or seven point spread in favor of Clemson. You have the two top quarterback prospects, arguably the top top two, if not one and three, in Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields going head to head. And in addition to that, Clemson's got Darion Kendrick, the 26th ranked player outside corner uh, for us, and then Wyatt Davis, the guard for Ohio State, Chris Olave, a top 50 player on PFF's board. There's a lot, a lot of talent in this in this one, specifically in the offensive side of the ball, where you should see a firework show. Yeah, I think this is going to be the um, the kind of the deciding factor for a lot of NFL teams when it comes down to Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. I think we've made up our mind. It's Zach Wilson. You know, when you're looking at his projections too, it, I mean, Zach Wilson's up there in that that category. Just because you know, you look at what Brent Venables and this Clemson defense did to Justin Fields last year. I mean, Seth wrote a great article about this. I mean, they kind of made some tweaks at halftime, made started rotating out their coverages, and it kind of confused Justin Fields. I mean, you look at it. You know, we have in our database PFF Ultimate, great thing. Um, we're lucky we to get access to it. You know, we look at the middle of the field, you know, what they showed pre-snap versus what they actually played. You know, was it closed? Did they show it closed, play it open, or vice versa? The most Justin Fields have ever has ever faced that in a game where it was different, whether one way or the other, was that Clemson game. They did that 27 dropbacks. He had a 46.0 passing grade against that. The second most times that that's ever happened in his career in a single game against a defense was the Indiana game this past year. They did on 19 dropbacks. We all know what happened in the Indiana game. It was not pretty at all. So I think this is going to be a, a pretty big test to show for Justin Fields to show that he actually is perhaps better than Zach Wilson. But I think, 
I, th I think we're going to see kind of a little bit similar to last year. I'm also curious to see, you know, not from like a, you know, evaluation standpoint to what the Ohio State defense does to respect Trevor Lawrence's mobility. I think they might overcommit to that because last year at the end of the first half, Trevor Lawrence had that 67-yard touchdown run. That changed the game. I mean, mm -hmm. that really did. I think that's what kind of won him along with a couple of other controversial calls in there. Um, you know, whether or not they commit to stopping, making sure he doesn't get away with any of those zone reads in kind of giving up too much in coverage, it gets sliced and diced through the air. I'm, I'm curious to see what their game plan is. I would definitely encourage everyone to go to PFF.com and read that article Seth wrote uh, about that, um, that Clemson defense. And speaking of which, you have um, my guy Mike Jones Jr., the linebacker for Clemson that has played really, really well for them this year. Mike Jones Jr. didn't play in the game that Clemson lost in Notre Dame with DJ Uangalele. And I think, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the biggest injury in that game. But Mike Jones Jr. does a lot for this defense. I think he's going to do a lot against Justin Fields as well. I think Justin Fields has an opportunity to prove himself here. I mean, Justin Fields going against Brent Venables and this Clemson defense is not going to be easy. I, I think if he can get away from some of these tendencies, hanging on his first read, holding the ball too long, inviting pressure, doing it against Clemson on this national stage, a seven and a half point dogs is a big, big opportunity for Justin Fields to maybe silence some of these people who are like, Zach Wilson's better. The BYU kid, better than your Justin Fields. I think there's some, there's a chip on the shoulder that's growing. That wasn't there earlier in the season, but starting to mount up. And uh, I'm excited to watch this football it's, game. It's kind of crazy to think that we've come to this point where there's actually somebody contesting Justin Fields. Yeah. Because I mean, before the entering the year, if they, there was a, there was a little bit of a debate as to whether or not Justin Fields might actually be better than Trevor Lawrence, might actually go there. There were some people, though, that liked Trey Lance over Justin Fields. I, Daniel Jeremiah, was. Uh, uh, we had him early in the season, said, hey, this Trey Lance kid like is legit. Like He is a legit prospect with all these tools, could be the guy that is the number two quarterback off the board. Jordan Palmer has also said earlier in the season that Zach Wilson and Trey Lance are really, really, really good prospects, even maybe better than Justin Fields. I don't know. I, I, it hasn't always been that Justin Fields is this clear-cut number two, Trash. Right, yeah, but I mean, Trey Lance has not proven to be. No, well, but, but Trey Lance hasn't had the opportunities. And, and, and even in Central Arkansas, that Island game, I'm not putting too much stock into that. Like, that's an absurd. It's, it's That's absurd. I mean, he has like it was a what he prepared for one game on national stage. There's so much that could go wrong in that game. That and good? you talk about situations. I mean, North Dakota State is not an ideal situation in terms of having a good supporting cast to win football games. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't want to sound like I'm a complete Trey Lance hater. I would just you be, hate Trey Lance. You hate Kyle Trask. I know. You hate I'm everything. I'm going to have North Dakota State in my mentions now. Yeah, you are. Yeah. You absolutely are. I hope you freaking do. Yeah. Um, this has been a fantastic podcast. I really appreciate you coming on, man. I, I really appreciate when, when Mike Renner's out, it is not a downtick on two-for-one drafts. Okay, Anthony Tresh comes in, if not, raises the bar for two-for-one drafts. I encourage everyone to follow Anthony on Twitter, by the way, an underfollowed analyst here at PFF, PFF underscore Anthony. Until next time, guys, we are going to three podcasts a week, three episodes a week, starting next week, two-for-one drafts. I've got a hot interview lined up for Monday. I, I talked to Calvin Ridley, my friend. Ooh. Talk to Calvin Ridley. Going to debut that one on the Monday podcast. It's 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 a lot of fun. I'm excited for that. Talk to his wide receivers coach as well. Working on an article, a bigger article for PFF.com. But I'll share some of that interview on the Monday episode for the podcast. We're also going to be previewing the Senior Bowl, a deep look at the positions in this class, a, look, a, pre a preview of the draft guide that comes out in January. A lot of fun stuff to pay attention to on two for one drafts starting next week. I hope everyone has a fantastic New Year's and New Year's Day watching all these bowl games. Until next time, Austin Gale at the Trash. Two for more drops.